0: Metropolis Podcast. So so I was trying to come up with a title for this episode. I didn't want to just call it the Retailer Series with Nikki Kamek because it's not saying enough for who she is and what she is doing. She is quite a brilliant person. She's an amazing writer. You can find her articles on her business website, North Point Pets, where she uh, writes about the pet industry, pet food, what's happening within the industry, what the consumers should be looking for and asking for. She's providing a lot of tools for both pet product consumers and pet business owners. So, The wrestling with the title comes from you know her perspective on the industry and her approach and the fact that she's absolutely unstoppable with her trajectory where she's going so um, I was thinking of either uh, ain't no mountain high enough (laughs) or spotlight on the future because she is someone that we should be watching. She is someone that we should be looking at when it comes to the choices we make in buying products for our stores as retailers or buying products for our pets. She provides you with the tools and her articles and what questions to ask. and she always keeps the end user in mind and that is the pets so um i absolutely appreciated having her on i i'm always on a path of learning and she is an incredible teacher i hope you enjoy this episode and regarding the title i used both just on two different spots so Spotlight on the Future and Ain't No Mountain High Enough are very fitting for Nikki Kamek. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Nikki Kamek. Welcome. You own North Point Pets. I do. At retail store? At retail store in Connecticut. Why'd you open a retail store?
1: <laughs> Just like everybody else in this industry. I had a sick pet, you know, typical, super sick, unsocialized disaster of a dog and um, wasn't getting any answers from the veterinary industry or at least the vets that I knew at the time. And it evolved from my career in pharmaceuticals of, you know, learning to dig deeper. I wasn't in sales. I was in research and I knew how to look things up and to, um, ask different questions that people weren't asking. And it led me to another store owner that was really knowledgeable in the nutrition space. And I started started asking a bunch of questions. And he said to me, you know, I've never had these questions asked before. And it, it basically turned into a mentorship where I opened up a retail store, not really knowing much about pet nutrition or knowing anything about the industry, but I knew how to ask questions and I knew how to problem solve. I'll figure anything out. might take me a while, but I'll figure anything out. And that is really the, the story of North Point is it's been a six-year evolution of trial and error, lots of errors uh, in lessons. And kind of looking at what other people were doing and, and knowing that wasn't the direction I, I wanted to go in uh, and knowing that I wanted to do things differently. And it just kind of turned into this, um, It's kind of hesitate to say it, but it's kind of turned into this beast in Central Connecticut that is just known for doing things differently.
0: What is it that you're doing? Yeah. What is
1: it that you didn't want to do? so i we knew or i knew that i didn't want to be um a mill for dog food and i i wasn't interested in uh, growing sales just based on sheer volume um i would much rather have half the client base and have a super valuable super loyal uh educated uh, client client base that listens and wants to help edu- educate others and do right by their pets. And I mean, that's certainly what we've built. Um, I think I, I really just wanted to build a place where people, no matter what their feeding philosophy was, walk in, be able to ask questions, learn more, do better. Um, and I think, you know, another good piece of the puzzle is you know my training is is mostly human and I've at least in our area filled some of the gaps or some of the challenges a lot of people face um, just by taking some of those teaching or those learnings from functional nutrition and humans.
0: What's your background on the human uh, nutrition side?
1: Yeah, so my
0: undergraduate and graduate
1: work has a little bit of everything. Um, started out business, um, biology, chemistry, and then my graduate work is uh, functional nutrition. So not an RD, I'm not a registered dietitian, I have a functional nutrition, which really is biochemistry.
0: When you said you didn't, don't want to sell by sheer volume, somebody comes into your store, you're teaching that consumer what and why is it important? So, where are you doing things differently, and then we can go into depth about why this industry is so challenging? Yeah. So,
1: I'm the type of person. My staff are the type of people because I've built them that built them to be that way. Um, where we don't, we could very easily sell a bunch of things to almost anyone that walks in the store based on whatever problem they have, right? Whether it's itchy skin, GI issues, um, ear troubles, whatever that might be, you know. W- Sure. I mean, I think a lot of us are pretty good at doing that if we want to, but we're kind of the type that people will walk in with X, Y, or Z issue. And a lot of times they're finding us because of articles I've written, you know, they walk in wanting X, Y, and Z and we'll say, no, you're not buying that or we'll take things off the counter. And, you know, the, the business coaches that are listening to this are probably cringing because our uh, items per ticket goes down and our average sale goes down. But guess what we just did? we just earned that customer's loyalty for life because we didn't let them buy something. And we would tell them why, right? We'll say, yeah, well, you could, but what if you don't need that? What if just this diet changer? What if just this lifestyle modification or whatever it might be fixes your issue, right? You don't want to overdo it. Um, We tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to addressing issues up front um, for most things. And I think that is something that's different. for As a pet owner, when you have a sick pet, you're used to getting a bunch of meds from the vet and then, you know, having to do um, usually a whole bunch of other things. And we're kind of like, wait, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's take a step back. And we also teach, and this is the key, to look at the whole pet, look at the whole body, right? look at what's going on um, in human medicine, we'll say, read your patient, not your lab work. I guess redesigning the way that they go about thinking about whole pet health and diet, and how that impacts everything. Um, it, it's a challenge for sure, but once you kind of get that to click, it, it makes sense.
0: So, so in pet retail, um, you go into these holistic, and I'm using quotation marks with my fingers here, you go into pet holistic pet retail stores, and they have a whole segment of supplements, and then they have the raw, the cooked now, and um, the variety of freeze dry, the naturals, right? So you go through all these places and you have someone come in with a dog or cat with chronic ear infections, and they just want something to stop that. but Mm -hmm. they haven't looked at the whole picture. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to describe, and and most holistic pet retail stores are aggressively pushing Topical ear solution, a supplement, um, change the diet, probiotics, omega fatty acids. They keep mm-hmm. layering more yeah. and more and more products. Yeah. we really don't know what the cause of it is. We have to actually take away. Often. Right. And when you layer on more, you're just going to create a bigger problem, and you're going to lose that customer. Because you just created a dog with a chronic ear infection who now has diarrhea and he's licking his paws and keeping you up all night because his stomach's gurgling and and now you're blaming the store.
1: Mm And in in those situations, I find it's really less is more, right? And if you're going to add, maybe you do need all those things, but you need to have a stepped approach to you know, to adding them because if something doesn't work or something doesn't agree with that, how do you know what it is? It's impossible, right? And then you're back you know where
0: you started. It's interesting because um, you know, in retail you're told to just sell, sell, sell you know, as much as possible instead of stop and have some conversation.
1: I think the big mints in this industry that I'm really starting to see it's becoming really, really apparent to me, is everyone's focused on selling a product, right? What's yeah. the next new trend? What's this, what's that? And you're not selling any of that. Who cares, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're running a retail store, right, none of those things should be you know, a huge chunk of your business because if something goes wrong, you're in trouble. Yep. But you're not selling any of that stuff, right? You're selling yourself. You're selling your service. That's what keeps people coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So. I I think that's the myth at the end of the day.
0: Let's talk about the article you wrote, because I think the pet consumer really can drive retail. They can challenge them. And if the retailers that are going to make it are going to be the ones that stand out, can be part of the process, then I think we're all going to be in a bigger place. Let's start out with what the pet owner needs to do to improve what they're getting for
1: their pets it's both the retailers really need to understand the the neighborhood pet indie whatever you want to call us and i I mean indies too right um the the bigger indies too we if we all banded together we would be so much stronger than the big guys if we all would get on the same page and demanding certain things right talking about these questions so it's it's not just consumers and it's not just um neighborhood pet it's 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 everybody together because when you look at, you talk about consumers driving the industry, retailers can drive it as well, as long as we're going in the right direction. But look at what Blue did, right? Getting everybody to flip over the bag and look at ingredients. Mm -hmm. And turns out, oops, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. I see a lot of retailers kind of making that mistake. It goes so much further than that. Um, No matter what your pet food philosophy is, it goes so much further than that. And it's kind of taken us in a
0: way and a step back, right? Let's talk about flipping that bag over and what really is back there. Let's let's go through that because understanding what's there, there's so much information on the internet. You can look and get different information about you know, guaranteed analysis versus third-party analysis. Let's talk about the reality here and go point by point with what the pet, um, pet owners can do. And pet retailers, you guys, dudes, come on, listen up. <laughs> Do better. <laughs> <laughs> do better. Actually, do good. You can. So I'm going to put this on you. So I mean,
1: the back of that bag is so deceptive. It's it's so deceptive. Um, I think by now, most retailers are aware that the ingredients are listed in order by weight prior to the processing, whatever that is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, kibble is the most popular, so we'll, we'll go with that. So prior to all that moisture being removed. So what happens when you have a first ingredient that's you know predominantly moisture and that's you know, all that moisture is removed, it drops in that ingredient list. So that becomes really deceptive. Um, I think the other part that I struggle with, um, especially recently with a lot of formula changes that we're seeing, especially with the grain-free and the ancient grains, um, the percentage of protein, the percentage of fat, and then you wanna do the math and you get the percentage of carbohydrate. Um, that's a percentage of the total of what's in that bag, right? It's not, it doesn't give you a grams value, so, you have to do quite a bit of math to figure that out. And even then, it's still an estimate if those companies are not doing a digestibility and a nutrient analysis. It's a best guess at what is in that bag. Um, you know, and again, a whole nother topic is all of that is formulated off of modified atwater, which um, is again estimates of. of Of different types of food so there's a lot of room for error there uh and that the calories on that bag and the nutrients in that bag could vary wildly from what is predicted before that food even is made
0: what the hell is a consumer supposed to do when they're looking at that bag or that can because yeah Um, cans are different than those bags and they're not that much different
1: yeah um you know it's it's a loaded question. There's there's so much education that that needs to happen, and this is where I personally struggle because I you see the articles that I put out and they're super dense and a lot of them are really long, and because I have a, I have a hard time leaving out the details, right? I want to tell you the whole story and I want to give you the why, and you know a lot of people don't want to read that, which is part of the problem, and I don't I don't blame them. Um, but there's a a whole shift that needs to happen, and this is where I think retailers really can push back and add value. Um, I've start. I've actually stopped taking new products into my store that don't meet those requirements, period. I've stopped. Um, and yeah, I'm only one store. Um, we're, you know, we're in Connecticut and mm-hmm. it, you know, am I going to make a difference by myself? No. But if some of us started pushing back and saying, listen, um, spend the minimal amount of money that it costs to validate your product and I'll buy in," Um, and if, and if retailers did that it becomes a little bit easier to educate the consumer right so there are several brands that do that now um maybe not as as to the level that we would like them to but there are some brands that that do validate their products and we're able to speak to that that's huge especially when you have somebody coming in um you know with instructions from their veterinarian or you have we actually have a lot of veterinary clients that come in and vet techs that come in and we're able to speak to that and explain the differences and, and the validation of those products. And they're like, wow, I learned something. Mm-hmm. So that it becomes a huge educational opportunity for us. And that's something that the big guys would really have a hard time doing, right? They're not going to get the level of expertise that, that us Indies or neighborhood pet retailers offer.
0: When you talk about validation, what does that entail?
1: So for me, um, I like to see a third-party nutrient analysis of the finished product. If you reach out and you ask almost any pet food company for an analysis, a third-party analysis of their product, they will send you what is called a targeted analysis, and it usually says it, you know, in the upper right-hand or lower right-hand corner, fine print, you know, the things that most people don't see. And what that all that means is that it's predicted. All that means is that's how they formulated the food to feed. The problem is that those computer algorithms don't take into account all of the potential nutrient interactions or ingredient interactions that are at play. They potentially don't take into account uh, the, the um, byproducts of processing um, and what happens to those nutrients when when just simply when they're processed, right? So it becomes really deceptive. What you want to see is a, is a um, typical analysis, which is An average or an aggregate of many different batches over time and it should what they should also accompany that with is a digestibility report and it's not just an overall digestibility report you actually want to see um, the protein and the fat digestibility individually which are usually different fats usually the highest uh, total energy and what that tells you is how much of that food and the nutrients that are in that food that that able is it, that animal is able to utilize. Um, it's not an invasive process. It's not a cruel process. Um, there are actually some amazing kennels where dogs live in some ways better than, than they live in some of our own houses, um, where they f- eat the food for approximately 10 days, two weeks, their poop is collected. It's sent to the lab and it's analyzed. Um, very simple. So it's, it's not something like back in, um, I don't even believe it's done anymore. I, I could be wrong, but, um, the way that they used to figure that out was, um, ileo dogs. Now that becomes an ethical concern. You know, if, if we're doing that just to determine, uh, digestibility of a pet food, um, uh, probably not appropriate, but, um, it, it's not that anymore. And some companies will try and get out of the, the, I guess the requirement or the, the push for us when we're asking for that by saying, oh, it's unethical. Um, it's not. It's a poop test. It's a poop test. Yes. <laughs> we're, it's, Essentially.
0: It's, it's a litter box, basically. Right. So um, a lot of the companies that I've asked if they have a digestibility profile have told me that one, if they're less than three to four years old, they say, well, we're a young company. We can't afford to do it it's not going to cost that much more. You're putting so much money into marketing your brands and then you have long standing companies out there that can afford to do this and spend millions upon millions of dollars just on Instagram ads yep. and influencers, giving stuff away to influencers and giving stuff away to puppy mills and so they can promote their brand and their food. Yep. Why can't you do the digestibility test? Those are the people that I worry about and I think. Hmm. where do you stand here and who do you really give a shit about the animals
1: the thing that bothers me is you know if you can't if you can't do that or if or if you want to say that you didn't know any better or you didn't know you should be doing that um then why are you making pet food uh how much do you really know about the industry or what else do you not know right so that that concerns me because it just makes me think okay well what other gaps are there um, I think the other thing that is concerning is, well, what's your end goal, right? So it is, is your goal really to make the industry better and to put the best product out there that you can, or is it really your bottom line? And, you know, you want to get into experiments. So if you've never validated your food and you want me to feed it to mine, then my animals are the ones being experimented on right you want to talk about DCM Um, you want to talk about how we could have prevented that how we could have prevented vitamin D Um, we should have learned our lesson with the melamine recall which I was not in the industry at the time Um, I had no idea what was in front of me at the time but um, you know those things could have been prevented right that we could have shut down it, maybe not DCM, but I mean, we could have at least shut down the rhetoric, uh, totally knocked that off right out the bat. If we could have said, Hey, nope, that the, the taurine is at this level and it's digestible at this level. Would um, it, would have, have change the narrative? Because right now, as it stands, we've literally wasted two years.
0: Consumerism, money, and all the pretty bags with the pictures of the pets. And you know, I saw the last cage and I, you know, my first love and all that. You're the sirens, I'm in New York City. <laughs> but, uh, it's a money game. I mean it's uh, it really is not about the well-being of pets so and we sit here and we talk about what the consumer can do and what the retailers can do. We are incredibly powerful. You just started a company called Undogmatic Inc, where you can <laughs> <I did. laughs> where you can help retailers figure this stuff out if they want to. Uh, do you want to uh, touch on that a bit? Yeah. So, um,
1: Undogmatic Inc. was really just born out of frustration. Um, I think it, it started at—I mean, the idea has been around for a while. Um, because I, I like—I um, like problem solving, as I mentioned earlier. So I love—I um, I love working with other retailers or pets or veterinarians that come to me with you know, a whole mess of blood work and they're like, I can't figure out what's going on. Um, can we look at this from a nutritional angle? Because I've got nothing else. Um, and I, my thought was always, all right, well, I'm gonna start a separate company and I'm gonna do consulting, um, to, you know, to help, to help other retailers and, and to help um, consumers in whatever way that I can, right? Just an out of a box. And what I figured out over time was that that wasn't necessarily the issue. The issue is helping to helping retailers to just break through the bullshit in the industry. Um, so, so I guess. Catapulted in when did, when did we have global February, March, I'm walking around and I'm watching all of these well-known brands, right? These indie brands pump out these ancient green foods. And I'm like, wait, I know that these are not validated. Like, I know that these guys have not done their homework. Um, and meanwhile, they all, all the distributors think I'm nuts because I haven't brought in one ancient grain food. We have great inclusive foods that were working fine. I don't need another line extension. I mean, you know, in irony, again, is, you know, they're screaming about sustainability and, you know, health and whole foods. There. yeah, have a have a whatever angle you want to come at it, we can come at it and, and knock them down. But long story short, these companies I know were not validating their products and everyone and their brothers got, you know, an ancient grain extension. And I'm watching retailers place these huge orders and ISOs or initial stocking orders and, I'm like, what is going on? And I said, you know what, enough, like enough is enough is enough. Um, And then, you know, the taurine supplementation, like taurine's in everything now. Well, if it has meat, it has taurine, but okay. Um, So, you know, that marketing nonsense and you're watching people lean into it and the company's response is always, and I've got all of them, um, you know, saying, well, it's what the consumer wants. And my response always is, okay, if may, maybe, I don't know, I haven't had anybody come in and ask specifically for a item with, with taurine or ancient grains, but if that's the case, why are we not t- spending this marketing money instead on educating the consumer or educating the retailer? Because that would have been a far better spend and it would have been a lot less money to change that narrative because right now y'all look guilty, right? You all look like as if you're answering to the fda or to um the avma that this is an issue um we could talk about the science of that all day long um i don't personally don't believe that there's enough evidence to to show that grain free is is causing dcm um but they all made themselves look really guilty with all these formula changes
0: yes and and then the our distributors come out and want to negate it all so yeah. which way are, are we supposed to go as retailers? Like, Which know. is
1: it? I look at my numbers, um, my trends. We've got an amazing point of sale system. Um, and I look at trends all the time. And I'm always cutting numbers different ways, just just to get insight and to figure things out. I, I like looking at data. And I mean, we've continued to grow, right? We've continued to go in grain-free. We've continued to grow in grain-inclusive. But those trajectories have not changed over the past, if you even look back three years. Um, our growth has been the same overall as a company. Um, the only thing that's had a significant impact on any trend is our raw, um, our raw, our fresh food, our supplements, those types of things. I mean, those just grow hand over fist, you know, year over year, um, but it, they do that because we take the time to educate the consumer. You know, the I and my staff never let that conversation when somebody comes in worried about grain free, um, we never let that conversation pigeonhole into a, a grain free issue. We say, "Okay, listen, like let's take let's take a step back. How many pets are overweight? How many pets have diabetes? How many pets have um, some sort of um, periodontal disease, or cancer, or GI issues, or allergy? You know, the list goes on and on and on, right? That list of health problems mirrors the health problems that we have in humans." Why do humans have that issue? Well, humans have that issue because we eat processed food. What are you feeding your pet? Processed food. Okay, let's fix that. You want to give your pet the best chance against whatever disease it might be, feed them a more natural diet, or at least supplement, right? There's data now to show that feeding at least um, partial fresh food Mm -hmm. has significant impacts. Um, We, a couple researchers and I have a paper coming out that's going to support that as well. Um, And I think, you know, that's the narrative we need to be taking. It's not, I don't, I've never had somebody walk out because we didn't have or didn't sell them a a grain inclusive food. It's, you have to make that conversation much bigger than than what it is. Yeah,
0: Nikki, when you have, you have one store, I have one store. And I opened the store to make an impact and and have the consumer look at things differently. Um, You can't carry the thousands and thousands of SKUs that are out there. And just because they're giving you a good price point this month doesn't mean that's the way you should be going. You have to have something that you stand by. And you have to know who your customer is. You have to find your customer. Yeah, you have to figure out who that is. If it's going to be everybody and their mother, then you're competing with the Chewies or you're competing with the Big Boxes, and you're going to lose. How do pet retailers take the first step? Yeah, so
1: I mean, the first step's always the hardest. I remember um, way back when I was cutting, you know, well-known brands um, off the shelf. I kicked out Taste the Wild and From. I uh, kicked it out. Oof. About three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, completely. And I mean, it was hanging on. It was never there because we recommended it. It was there because people came in and looked for it. But when you calculate what it costs to keep that on the shelf, and what how you're turning it, um, I mean, taste of wild is a great example um, because you make no money on it. I don't care if you move a pallet, two pallets, three months. You don't make money on it. Um, and they have a significant checkered past and they make food for everyone, right? Their sourcing is all over the place. If you want to stand for quality and you want to have something that you're comfortable you know, feeding your own pets and feeding your customers and your clients pets, um, that to me did not check any of those boxes. And so I kicked them out and I, my customers were actually happy. They, I mean, did we lose a few? Sure. If I said we didn't, um, I would be lying to you. But most of our customers at that point were like, this is awesome. Oh, I can feed something else. Oh, I can, there's other brands that I can, you know, rotate or whatever it might be. Uh, They were super receptive to it. And to be honest, there's a lot of the customers that maybe we did lose that came back um, after. After a certain amount of time, um, and maybe it was just they kind of had to sit and think about it or maybe they went home and popped it into Google and they were like, mm, maybe she's on to something. Maybe she's not as crazy as we think. And it, it really worked out for us. Um, you know, same thing with from and I didn't I didn't want to kick from out right away. I gave them the opportunity to answer questions. and I was accused of being, well, this is a couple years ago. so I was accused of being, I believe shady was the word. Um, and that I was, you know, just trying to, to poke the bear, stir the pot. And I was like, well, no, but I, I want to know some of this information and they, everything's proprietary.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So, Cause that's, that's the, one of the brands that I carry very few, I never carry taste of the wall, but from is one that I'm actually going to be pulling, pulling out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been looking for replacements. I found one, uh, it's, it's tough a replacement yeah. for a small store. Mm-hmm. where food is majority, it's tough to find something of quality. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, I mean, what we ended
1: up doing, and we're actually doing it again, we're in the process of cutting um, some things again. And what I figured out, we you know, we have this 6,000 square foot store. It sounds huge, right? Yes. And so as a retailer, you want to just stock it full. You want to have a great showing. You want to have everything. And what I have learned is that you're customer gets really confused when they walk in and there are so many choices yeah and you can't possibly balance you know keeping all your customers on those foods in the store and you know having the rationale to, to stock them all your turns just don't work so you need to have depending on the size of your store you know you need to have a core brands that you believe in that you trust that you have good relationships with that support you and that's really all you need. Um, it, I, I think like for us, we have a mix of brands that are in bigger retailers. And then we have some that are exclusive to, to smaller stores and that mix works for us. But at the end of the day, it's not those kibble or those canned brands that keep us going. It's the yeah. fresh food. The fresh food is what keeps people coming back. Um, and you know, a good amount of our customers, like I said, they either feed hundred percent fresh or they are
0: feeding at least partial. And that's, that's like when, that magic sauce. When you say fresh, it's what's in your refrigerator and freezers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not food that they're making themselves. It's what you're selling. Yeah, so I mean,
1: I'll advocate for that if it's a smaller amount. Um, I, I have no problem with that. And you know that goes back to that trust issue, right? Helping them do what they want to do. Um, but when it starts to get, you know, in that 10 to 20% range and above, you know, we have that conversation about balance and making sure that we're putting something in that bowl that's not going to upset the balance of everything else.
0: How do we as retailers, you know, you already said start clearing out the brands, start picking and choosing, find your customer base, know who you want to service. How do we get out of that mindset that the industry has essentially drilled into the heads of most retailers? Because it is a mindset. They are willing to accept the lies and the beautiful pictures. And I think, you know, the, the Gen Zers are a little different. They're, they're challenging the system, especially with what's going on with politics. Yeah. So, you know, we're doubting what we're being told. And I, that doubt, I think, I think it's important. So what do retailers do to start changing the mindset and challenging? Ask for the digestibility test. Uh, ask for the third-party evaluations. But what if you're not being given it? Mm-hmm. You're sitting there with 6,000 square feet and you're not Nikki or Taz. Right. Definitely not Nikki. So what do you do? So I, I mean,
1: it's certainly tough. Um, I've got a running list and a running, um, a running spreadsheet. And I have, I have people that help me with this, um, contacting, you know, constantly contacting reps, contacting the company directly, having those conversations, constantly being really annoying. Um, And I know there are other retailers that are doing it. Right. I know you're doing it. I know there's a handful in Connecticut that are doing it. Um, There are some across the country that are doing it. And we just need to become louder. Um, I think they're waiting for us to just get frustrated and shut up. Um, But anyone that knows me knows that that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to keep getting louder. Uh, It really needs, but everyone needs to do that. Right. If if you're not as an indie or neighborhood retailer, if you're not gonna protect your best interests, which at the end of the day are the products that you carry and that you are selling to your customer, then you're, you're leaving yourself open for liability, right? So we had DCM happen, you had vitamin D happen, which hit so many brands. Um, it's not just science diet like a lot of people think.
0: Uh,
1: it, it hit a lot of well-known indie brands and we've had recalls you know, throughout the years When are we gonna learn our lesson, right? If you wanna prevent those things from happening or you want to at least have some science to drive that discussion, you need to have products that validate their foods or you need to have companies that validate their foods. And that's ultimately the beginning, the end of the conversation of the argument is that that, that's it, right? You wanna be in, in my store, you want us to get behind you I don't even care so much right now about independent, exclusive. I care about the quality of the product. If I believe in it, and if I can teach my staff about the science behind the product, then they'll sell the hell out of it because they believe it. They trust it. They know that it's not going to come back with an issue, or if it does, the, that company is going to have caught it well before it even reached the market, mm-hmm. or it's going to be a, an isolated issue.
0: Key points that they're gonna catch it before it hits the market or it's an isolated issue. So the holistic pet food industry is a sub-industry of the whole Big Pet because essentially Big Pet is financing the holistic. They go in and, yeah, Purina right. you know, goes in and buys Merrick, right? Um, well, and if you
1: wanna talk about holistic, um, that's actually another blog that's um, in the queue. I don't know when it's getting released, but I did write that one. Um, I broke down holistic and that basically means BS. It means nothing. Right, um, and that you know that's another issue. I think a lot of retailers don't quite understand that there is, there's no meat behind that. There's no teeth behind that at all.
0: Oh, well, there was no pun in that. Was there? There was no meat <laughs> behind that. But we have to understand that pet food is feed. Yeah. The one thing that, yeah, and, and there are all these companies on the holistic side, um, who uh, claim they're selling food there's nothing about food out there unless you're feeding fresh and even some fresh isn't food.
1: There are some fresh companies and there are some that are local, um, in Connecticut that man, I wonder how they get away with what they do. Um, I won't name names. I'm sure they know who they are, but we have some in Brooklyn,
0: (laughs) you
1: know, it, yeah, it, I, I think the kibble argument at this point when it comes to that, it's, it's like a moot argument, but, we need to stand up about or stand up against that happening to our raw side right there's great raw there's middle of the road raw and there's some raw that gives everyone a bad name where i 100 percent agree with the avma and the fda when it comes to those products um but there are, are products that are a step above um there are products that could do better um but that's where our our focus should be as smaller stores for sure
0: how do we come together nikki I mean, I'm with you. I'll jump in. I'll take a train out to you. <laughs> but no, I mean, we need, to, we need to join forces. We have to join forces and make this happen and really stand out.
1: I think it, it becomes a conversation. Um, and I think it, it's going to involve in some way some sort of association slash advocacy group um, that is not bought and sold by the major companies. Um, so what that means is that it's going to cost us some money as smaller stores t- to do that. But I mean, the thing that frustrates me, and I know a lot of people that know me, I'm not one to sit back and complain. I'll put my head down and I, tr- I try and figure stuff out. Um, I I think what upsets me is that I see a lot of retailers complaining a lot about the same problems over and over, right? And what's frustrating is that when, you know, you say something like, okay, well, let's do this, or why don't we reach out to so-and-so or reach out to your companies and ask them these questions or um, start working on, you know, getting some more information, they don't want to do the
0: work. So I think- So are you saying we have a lazy group of people who are okay with the ethical fading concept? Ooh, you said it a lot more harshly than i did but yes <laughs> yeah i've been saying that for a long time because i've been living in that yeah. state of frustration and then i started reading your articles and of course you know i have connected with jim Golovsky as well with noble foods and i know they do the digestibility profile with their product so i have a lot of respect for them um we need more brands like that yeah.
1: we do um we do and yeah, there. I think we also need more brands. The brands that do it, I think they need to be a little bit louder about it. Yeah. Um, I you know I, I brought that up as well several times, and you know they, a lot of manufacturers, and I, I do understand it to a degree, but they're hesitant to bring that type of attention to the industry um, or kind of create rift. But at the same time, you're not going to create change by doing the same thing over and over, right? You got to do something differently, and that's ultimately what it boils down to.
0: Why is everyone so scared? Is it just, I mean, are you afraid of losing market share? I think it, I think for me it would be, okay, these people have balls. They stand out. I want their products yeah. you know, near my, I want to feed it to the animals that need it as opposed to giving them the crap that's all, only I mean, literally crap. Every, everyone to a degree is afraid of change. I am not
1: as much, I think, as others, but I, I think we kind of need to stop being so afraid of what might happen and be excited for the change that could happen, right? Be excited for helping your customers better, be excited about growing your business. Um, I wrote another article talking about the long game versus the short game, right? Are you trying to just reach a certain sales goal every single day or every single month or every single year? Or are you trying to make things Truly make things better, because if you're out there truly trying to make things better, all the rest of the stuff's going to happen. Stop focusing on, on the little things in the metrics. You can study it, but your goal should be
0: all oriented around those specifically. I think if, they, if the tools were handed to them, like here, here's a guideline, what to do today. Mm-hmm. And then there's a check in. <laughs> I mean, literally, you have to hold hands, I believe. I believe you have to start holding hands until that mindset has changed because they're already buried deep right. in you know, the what ifs and the fears. And I mean, if- again, the
1: day to day, right? So many pet store owners are buried and they work 12 and 16 and 20 hour days and they never get days off and they never get vacation. And now enter COVID and it's a thousand times worse. Yeah. Um, one of the best things I did was delegate and it's hard to do when you're, when you want to control and you want everything done the way you want it to be done. It's really hard to do, but man, when you let go of those reins a little bit, you'd be impressed with what your team can do. If you have the right people, Mm -hmm. um, or you have people at least that want to learn. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you're, you're probably right. Something like a checklist to a degree, um,
0: would, would probably be helpful. And even if, um, maybe we should talk about this offline, but do like a, <laughs> do a, a bi-monthly call where everyone just logs in and calls in. So what did we do? What did we learn? I mean, someone has to take leadership here. You're okay. writing the articles, actual doing can be done. The information yeah. can be put out there and without charging anyone, have more people getting involved, people that want to, and they make the choice, right. They have to make the choice to be a part of it.
1: Well, the other thing too. So you bring up ethics, and you bring up—we've um, talked about this before—sustainability, right? That's getting another push in in this kind of wake of COVID. You know, we had that whole survey that came out in industry, which basically said, "Oh, well, consumers don't realize what ind- what indie or small retailers have to offer." Okay, okay, I'll bite. But what was the answer? to that, right? What, what was our solution? There, there really was none, but now there's this rising of the Pet Sustainability Coalition, which sounds fantastic, right? Yes, we want to recycle. Yes, we want to have less of an impact on the environment. Yes, we want to be sustainable. Okay, counter argument. Enter ancient grains, right? Enter documented, scientifically, Uh, published articles that show that those things are not as digestible as other ingredients that we use in pet food so let's talk about increased animal waste what does increased animal waste do to our environment and our water supply
0: oh let's get into climate climate change let's get into that yeah
1: for now, all of these foods that are packaged in these recyclable bags become more of an environmental burden.
0: Well, they're not recyclable bags unless they're going to TerraCycle. They're not. They have multiple layers. If they're not in the right type of bag, right. some bags are. And
1: who actually does it? I mean, sure. Yeah. do we have the bin? Yeah. I can't tell you who really brings stuff. But I mean, do we get a few? Yes. I mean, I shouldn't say we don't, but it's not the level that a store our size should be collecting. Mm-hmm right? People don't think about that. And it, yeah, I, I think for a lot of these brands that are buying into it, it's kind of funny to me because if they really wanted to make an impact in reduced waste and reduced environmental impact, I feel like they should be doing digestibility studies to get that number as high as they can, right? Let's literally reduce the waste. Mm -hmm. Um, then we won't be buying as much dog food to meet the caloric, requirements
0: you know the the argument goes on and on and on but we've created these layers upon layers of and layers of things that keep us busy doing nothing as opposed to starting with the one thing that could lead us to reducing waste by having less waste right and using higher quality products and less killing less animals not needing as much of these grains so yeah, why are we making it so hard for that for ourselves? Is it job security? I, you know, I, I,
1: <laughs> I don't, And I, I mean, the other thing too is, again, it sounds great, right? At face value, it sounds fantastic. But when you actually know how the industry works, it's not as much. Um, and it's one more thing for retailers to do, right? It's one more thing. I just remember where I was sitting two and three years ago when I was literally doing all of these back end tasks myself. Mm-hmm. if this came on then it it might have been the straw that like made me legitimately snap it's just one more thing right and you feel like you can't keep up you already feel like you're not doing enough you already feel like you know you you can't do better at the same time because you're so overloaded um it would be better to just get to the root cause of the problem well we need the truth to start with